Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Podcast 360, your go-to resource for medical news and clinical updates. I'm your moderator, Jessica Bard with Consultant 360 Specialty Network. Supporting a child's breathing with a ventilator at home can be challenging and requires a team approach to care. Tracy Gonzalez is here to speak with us about caring for children who are mechanically dependent. Tracy is a pediatric nurse practitioner at the Complex Care Clinic at Texas Children's Hospital in Houston, Texas, and a national spokesperson for the American Lung Association. Thank you for joining us today. What are the biggest challenges for primary care providers in taking care of a child who is mechanically dependent? One of the biggest challenges that we face is care coordination. These children, they require in-home nursing, multiple therapies, medical equipment in the home, monthly supplies, medications. I mean, it's just an endless list. And there are so many working parts behind the scenes that ensure that they're well taken care of in the home. On top of that, you know, most will see multiple specialists along with their PCP. And they're going to get a flood of information from each provider they see. And deciphering that can be difficult for a parent. Another barrier that we unfortunately face a lot is just the overall availability of providers who want to work in the field. It's a tough field. We work with a lot of really sick children with really complex medical needs, as it is with so many fields of medicine right now. We see a decent amount of burnout, and I rather kind of think it's a decent amount of what we call compassion fatigue. We struggle to not only find providers at a PCP level, we struggle to also find subspecialists, particularly if you're in a more rural community without ready access to a larger medical system. And we again address this as they grow kind of across the lifespan because we also face difficulty finding adult providers that we can transition our children to once they hit that 21 year mark. What are the best practices to ensure patient safety when caring for a child who is mechanically dependent? When I think of safety, I think of it in two parts. One being the acute emergency situations, which I think we're going to talk about in a bit. The other is reflective of the long-term care provided. And care coordination is really, again, one of the biggest components to ensuring that we are safely caring for these fragile children. Studies shown that uh, children with medical complexity, they're going to benefit from being seen in a clinic that provides comprehensive, compassionate, and coordinated care. For example, in our own clinic, each patient has a primary care provider. They also have a care coordination team, and then they have access to a dietitian and a social worker. So as a PCP, we help coordinate their overall care, along with the typical PCP roles of managing their acute illnesses and then also their routine child care. We typically see our kids every three months, sooner if needed. And at that visit, we review all diagnosis, all the specialist notes, all the hospitalizations, labs, diagnostic text, and really just overall, we're evaluating if anything is missing from their care. And what has been found is if a child or a patient sees multiple specialists, but not a PCP to help put it all together, their care can actually become very fragmented and fragmented care can lead to worse outcomes in this population. Particularly if they're seeing specialists across different organizations because then the specialist can't see each other's notes either. And there's a big risk for polypharmacy or risk of other complications can increase. Within our clinic, so they have their PCP and then they also have their care coordination team. And that team consists of an RN and what we call a patient navigator. And this team, they help with all of the paperwork, all of the orders, the therapies, the nursing, all of those things that help keep the kid in the home and not in the hospital. And you would be amazed at the amount of paperwork it takes for a child to receive these services in the home. We have around 1,400 to 1,500 patients. We get faxes all day long. So many faxes, so many papers to sign. 
But this team, they are imperative to the outpatient care and just the overall safety of these kids in their home. And then, of course, access to a social worker is vital. There have been multiple studies that have looked at the financial ramifications of having a medically complex child in the home. They've looked at the divorce rate and then the overall mental health of these families. And these are very real problems that we see every day. And, you know, as providers, we know that in order for our parents to be able to care for their kids, we have to address these problems, these root problems. If a family's worried where their next meal is going to come from, then their ability to care for their medically fragile child is going to be affected. What types of emergencies can arise when caring for a child who is mechanically dependent? And what should a clinician do to be prepared for those emergencies? Um, children who are dependent on trachs and vents, of course, these, they can be incredibly fragile and multiple different types of emergencies can arise very quickly. Whether they're coming in sick and so they've got acute on chronic respiratory failure, whether the machine is malfunctioning, the trach is plugged, the trach is out, you know, no matter the cause, when you can't breathe, nothing else matters. And as clinicians, we should take precautions to ensure that we have all the necessary supplies to intervene in such emergencies. So access to an ambu bag, to oxygen, and to suction, they're vital. They're absolutely life-saving. You have to have these at the bedside. Extra trachs and a crash cart are an added bonus. Um, we are lucky to have those in our clinic, but of course, I understand it's not feasible that all clinics can have backup trachs and crash carts. And while the equipment required for pulmonary resuscitation, that bamboo bag, that oxygen, they're a good starting point. Um, as providers, there's no way we can anticipate every event that we're going to run into. So I think it's equally important that you routinely reflect on your practice and you evaluate for opportunities to improve patient safety. If there are emergent events, always stop and have a debrief afterwards, see what worked well, see what could have been better, and then actually make changes in your process to incorporate the better. We, we've actually had a few examples in our own clinic. One of those is we implemented a trach checklist. And so what we found was that although we regularly provided education and the in, emphasize the importance of always having their emergency trach kit with them, which of course would include their ambu bag, their backup trachs, their suction. Families were still routinely traveling without it. And, and there was multiple reasons for this, but we actually ran into some situations where the kids showed up to the clinic and we needed those supplies right then. They were acutely sick and we needed to start bagging. Luckily, being in the clinic, we had access to the supplies. But if this happened somewhere else in a hallway, in a car, you know, somewhere else, the outcomes of that situation would have been very different. And so now we, every child who has a trach who comes for every visit, they get a trach audit. There's a form with a checklist with all the required um, things that we would expect for them to have in their emergency kit. And then at the visit, either an RN or an RT goes over that form and checks off that they have everything with them. If they don't have the vital supplies, such like an ambu bag or a backup trach, we'll actually ensure that we get them to the patient before they leave the clinic so that they can leave here safer than they came here. And we really, I've seen a big increase in compliance since we've started using this form to the point now where a lot of times I'll walk in a room and the nurse or the family will already have everything laid out for me to check it because they know we're going to ask for it. So I do think it's definitely brought it more to the forefront of their minds to be prepared. We've also recently added a respiratory therapist to our staff, and those of us who work in pulmonary medicine or we take care of children with chronic respiratory needs, we all know and understand how valuable and knowledgeable a respiratory therapist is. 
So our RT, she sees every trach vent child, and then she also sees any additional kids that we feel would benefit, any muscular dystrophy, any kind of neuromuscular condition, asthma, anyone that we think would benefit from her evaluation. She provides education. She can check and troubleshoot our equipment, and she also assists in emergencies. And again, that goes back to if you've worked in this field, you know that in an emergency, a respiratory emergency, a good RT is just invaluable. And she also will call our patients, which is great because she can call and talk to patients over the phone. She can troubleshoot with some of the home equipment that I might not know as well what's available in the home. She can really help the patients out over the phone. How has caring for a child who is mechanically dependent changed during the COVID-19 pandemic? How are clinicians using telehealth to care for their pediatric patients who are mechanically dependent? So care has definitely looked different over the last year. Many of these families, they're they already have overwhelming fear and often they have PTSD from just everything they've gone through with their child's health. We've definitely seen a rise in that fear and anxiety. Families have been incredibly hesitant to bring the children out for anything, um, including clinic visits for well child checks for vaccines. Many families have also started refusing private duty nursing or in-home therapies just out of that fear that someone's going to bring COVID into the home. So this in turn means that the parents are responsible for 24-hour care on top of their regular responsibilities. Many of our patients, they require medications, breathing treatments, and feeds throughout the night. So we're not talking kids who are awake during the day and there's just nothing to do but let them sleep at night. Many of these kids require bedside care 24 hours a day. So we've had parents, they've lost sleep. We've had parents lose jobs. And, and unfortunately, we've also seen some lose spouses or we've or other loved ones to COVID, which adds even more stress and more anxiety. So for many families, not only has there been extra fear about contracting COVID, then there was also this extra stress as they were left with less help in the home. And as a result, they've kind of become socially isolated. All of this has led to an increase in our concern over the, the mental well-being of our families and our patients too. And we are, we're very acutely aware of this and, and the potential that it's setting up situations in which there could be an increased risk for error or just for general non-compliance. As for telehealth, along you know, with healthcare providers just across the world, we, we had to adapt our practice over the year. And telehealth, is, it's actually become a really important component, I feel now, of the care that we're providing. I love getting to see the kids in their home setting. So oftentimes when kids come to the clinic, they're just not excited to be here. They associate this with the hospital and they don't want to be there. So some of them come here and they're mad at us. Some of them just don't do well with transport. Some of them don't like their HME or their travel circuit. Some can't regulate temperature and some literally just come and act like they're sleeping the whole visit because they want nothing to do with us here. And so we really don't always get to see this, the kid who is at home. You know, mom and dad will tell us what the kid does at home, but I don't ever get to see that. So that part has been really nice because to get to see them in their home, in their comfort zone, you know, when I'm looking at developmental things, I'm looking for eye tracking in my visit while they're fake sleeping on me because they don't want to be here. But if I see them at home when they're awake and I can see them tracking mom or they see them tracking me on the screen, it's just really been very enjoyable to see that part of it. And as far as just more specific for mechanical devices and ventilators, you know, it is easy to see a work of breathing, which is great with the video. You can see the ventilator. The ventilators now have all of the readings are easy to see. You can tell how they're working with the vent, easy to make adjustments if needed. And, you know, I think overall, many of us still, 
it's a balance. We do like to see our kids in person. We've gone into this to take care of kids. We like to listen to do a physical exam, but telehealth has definitely stepped up and it's become a very important part of the care. So I think for the foreseeable future, I, I think telehealth would continue to be and to have a big role in this population. What are the take-home messages for primary care providers from our discussion today, would you say? So if there are three things that you can take from this talk, I would want you to remember that the importance of comprehensive care and effective communication between both providers, subspecialists and primary care providers, and the families. Two, continually look for ways that you can improve and ensure that we're providing the absolute safest care, both in our clinics, but also in the patient's home. And three, make sure that we're taking care of the whole patient. The medical, the mental, and the social care are all vitally important in this population. Is there anything else you'd like to add that you think that we missed? I would hope that we would reflect and remember that as clinicians, we get years of training to take care of this level of a child. Our families often get weeks to a month. Never forget what we're asking when we ask a family to take a child into their home that in years past would have never left an ICU. These children and their families, they really are some of the strongest and absolutely most resilient people that I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Thank you for joining us today, Tracy. I think we learned a lot and this is a really important topic. And I want to thank you for the opportunity and all those that are listening. And I hope that, you know, what we've talked about today, you can take forward and implement in your practice and as you take care of this great group of children.